On the show today, another historic Ukrainian church damaged by Russian attacks. Uh, when the rescue team arrived and started to uh, fight the fire, uh, Russian forces uh, started another shelling. So basically they uh, attacked the rescue team. Plus tensions on the rise along Poland and Lithuania's border with Belarus. They uh, immediately informed NATO and they uh, increased the number of troops here at the border. And later in the program, VOA sits down with National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby to discuss Ukraine peace talks in Saudi Arabia. Today is Thursday, August 3rd. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Karish in Washington. We'll go to the Polish border with Belarus in a few minutes, but we begin the show with news of another historic church in Ukraine damaged by Russian attacks, this time in Kherson. The AP's Karen Chamas has more. Russian forces unleashed two rounds of strikes on St. Catherine's Cathedral in Kherson, wounding several people and setting the church ablaze. The Kherson church, dating from 1781, is one of the city's most notable buildings. It once was the burial spot for Prince Grigory Potemkin, a favourite of Russian Empress Catherine the Great. The remains were removed last year while the city was still under Russian occupation. Russian forces withdrew from Kherson last November in the face of a Ukrainian counteroffensive. I'm Karen Chamas. Poland claims that Belarusian helicopters have violated its airspace, making an already tense situation even worse. For more, I spoke with VOA's Eastern Europe bureau chief, Miroslava Gungadze, who is near the border, where she was able to speak with volunteers as well as a tourist. Basically, a few days ago, uh, on uh, August 1st, uh, the volunteer group here in uh, Belovezha, a small town near Belarusian border, it's five, five kilometers from Belarusian border, detected uh, two uh, Belarusian helicopters flying over the border. They quickly recorded the video and they published it. So it looks like the government was a little bit reluctant to admit uh, the uh, incident. However, the, the Polish defense ministry admitted that this, this incident happened. They uh, immediately informed NATO and they uh, increased the number of troops here at the border. And now the Polish government is uh, raising alarm about the situation uh, in Belarus with the Wagner Group and their movement toward uh, Belarusian border. Why do you think the Polish government was hesitant at first to talk about this? My understanding is that uh, they probably had to inform uh, the NATO first and they probably had to uh, had a meeting internally what to do with this incident. Because if it looks like this could be a, a serious a problem for the NATO, and NATO have to react. And the question is, was it an, a mistake by um, Belarusian uh, government, uh, Belarusian military, or it was a provocation to see the reaction of NATO and Poland uh, on this provocation? Well, is there any evidence either way that it was a mistake or a provocation? Do we know? We don't know this, this yet. Uh, my understanding that there is investigation going on. 
Now, we also know that the Wagner Group has a base in Belarus, not too far from the Polish border, and that also caused Poland to move some of their troops farther to the east uh, in response to this. It does seem like tension between Belarus and Poland is increasing. Is this part of a a larger movement to draw Poland into the conflict, or is this what you might call normal tension between uneasy neighbors? This tension between uh, Poland and Belarus uh, are going on for uh, two years. And Polish Prime Minister raised alarm about the movement of Russian uh, Wagner forces in Belarus toward Polish border, warning uh, about possible provocation. Um, Poland government accused Russia and Belarus of uh, using migrants to um, destabilize Poland and other EU countries, uh, calling it uh, a form of hybrid warfare. Uh, in response, uh, Poland has, uh, in a, again, in the last two years, um, constructed a 186-kilometer-long, uh, 5-meter-high uh, steel fence uh, topped with uh, razor wire, cameras, thermal vision uh, surveillance equipment, and uh, sensors. Uh, according to Polish um, officials, there uh, have been over 16,000 attempts by illegal uh, immigrants to enter Poland uh, from Belarus just this year, making the situation increasingly uh, dangerous. Uh, in the last two years, here in this forest near uh, Belaveja, a uh, small town, and around uh, this border, uh, the volunteer, report, volunteer group reported 300 deaths in this, uh, in this forest, uh, 300 deaths of uh, illegal immigrants. Only yesterday, the volunteer group reported today, told me today, they uh, met 13 uh, illegal immigrants here in this forest that they are helping with water and and food supplies. So this tension um, with illegal immigrants are clear, and uh, uh, the and, and the, it, it, it's clear that it's a it's a it's attempt to to provoke uh, by Belarusian and Russian government because the volunteer told me that those uh, migrants, a lot of them, are beaten up and pushed to the border to cross. Uh, between Belarus and Poland. And today, the president of Lithuania that shared the border as well with Belarus uh, warned that um, up to 4,000 Wagner troops are in uh, Belarus right now. Uh, they are monitoring the situation and uh, he said it's possible that they would have to close the border between countries if the consultation with the NATO allies and EU allies will uh, decide so. Now, as we know, Poland and Lithuania both are NATO countries, so the stakes are certainly high if there is actually military provocation. Absolutely, and uh, that's why I have been just to, near the border, near that uh, long and, and high fence, and I saw a lot of uh, military personnel there that are monitoring 
the movement uh, because they do feel that uh, this EU border, uh, because the, the, the Polish border, it's a EU border. So um, this is very uh, serious if something happened here. And I just uh, uh, spotted two European tourists right near the border and I talked to them and our listeners can uh, can hear how they feel about this tension on Polish-Belarusian border. And generally, what do you think about this situation on the border and uh, Wagner in Belarus yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. war I'm, in Ukraine? Right. Well, uh, I know that, of course, from the news. Yes, I'm aware of what's going on on the other side of the border, but uh, we also believe in our institutions and the, uh, the way they should or shall protect us in case something happens. So, uh, in theory, we are safe on this side of the border. Of course, it's... Uh, uh, I mean, my, myself, I'm Polish, so uh, I know there has been always a little bit of uh, difficult relations between uh, Poland and the Eastern uh, countries, so any sort of provocation is, I suppose, uh, possible, but let's not go that, go that far as at the moment, right? So. Do you confident in, in Poland's ability to, uh, to stand against Russian aggression and... Uh, Belarus? Well, it's not only Poland's ability, then if something happens on this side of the border, then it's the whole, uh, you know, the NATO as well, right? So we would not be only, uh, we not be relying only on Polish, Polish military strength, but also the other countries. So yes, this is something that I'm sure about. Uh, it's not going to be bad in, in case something happens. Yeah. Miroslava, as it turns into nighttime in Belarus, what's what's the situation like now? What's happening there at the moment? It's quiet here uh, at the moment. Uh, this uh, small town are full of tourists. Uh, the business uh, here complaining that uh, this tension is actually killing them because the last tourist coming to, to the town, it's a high season summer season so it's a little problem for the create a little problem for uh, for the town however uh, it's uh, so far a peaceful situation here Miroslava Gungadze is VOA's Eastern Europe Bureau Chief we reached her in Poland near the Belarus border Miroslava thanks for your reporting thanks for your time today Thank you. The tourist that we heard Miroslava speaking with declined to give his name only saying that he was a citizen of the EU and as we heard from Miroslava, there is indeed a lot of tension between Poland and Belarus. On Tuesday, Poland accused Belarus of violating its airspace with military helicopters. And on Thursday, Poland's prime minister said that fighters from Russia's private Wagner mercenary force are being moved close to NATO's eastern flank in an attempt to destabilize the military alliance. There are all kinds of hybrid attacks right on our borders, on the Lithuanian border, on the Polish border, which we have been seeing for the past two years. Russia and Belarus are increasing the pressure on our borders. They are increasing the number of provocations. And we have to be aware that the number of these provocations will increase. I know also that this can be seen on the territory of Latvia, and we know that this is happening on ours. This is what will happen. This is what provocation is about. This is what intrigue and plotting on the part of Putin and Lukashenko was about. And this is what the operational activities on their side are about. 
in order to destabilize, in order to create unrest, chaos, uncertainty, and at the same time, to show the weakness of NATO's eastern flank to all of our partners in NATO. Polish Prime Minister Matuas Morawiecki made those remarks while meeting with Lithuanian President Gitanas Nasueda, who said there could be more than 4,000 Wagner troops in Belarus. Kherson sees more attacks, including the destruction of an old church. And we have some news from an investigation looking into a helicopter crash that killed a government minister. I'm joined by Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. It was another uh, attack, another shelling of the city of Kherson, as we discussed with you during this week. Kherson um, is uh, under uh, such attacks every day, unfortunately. Uh, and this time, uh, Russian uh, forces hit uh, another church uh, in the central part of Kherson. It's not as big and uh, as uh, old uh, uh, as uh, in Odessa, but it's still very old. And it's still very, well, historically important, very beautiful uh, building and very important building for her son citizens, of course. Uh, what we know for the moment that um, three people were injured during this attack. Uh, what also is important that uh, when the rescue team arrived and started to uh, fight the fire, uh, Russian forces uh, started another shelling. So basically they uh, attacked the rescue team who was uh, trying to, uh, to to save uh, the remains of the church and to save people who, who were injured. Uh, so for the moment, uh, we know that four workers of the rescue team um, of the um, of the Ukrainian um, uh, state emergency service uh, were injured during this attack, uh, and also the equipment, their equipment was uh, was damaged. Along with that, Anna, there's uh, some more controversy in Kiev today as news from an investigation into a helicopter crash over the winter has become public. Can you tell us what the investigation revealed? Yes, Steve. I would just remind our listeners that uh, back in January, on the 18th of January, it was uh, a very, well, quite a huge uh, catastrophe happened that happened in the Kyiv region that uh, caused uh, the death of the minister of uh, the interior minister of Ukraine and and some top officials as well from the ministry of uh, from the interior ministry uh, and unfortunately also some civilians and even children uh, it was a helicopter crash uh, this the helicopter uh, which is uh, which was the helicopter of the state emergency service of Ukraine was carrying um, uh, the minister and his uh, team, and it crashed at the uh, in in the Kiev region uh, in the area of the kindergarten. And this was just at the, at the moment when children and parents were at the place. Uh, so bringing parents were bringing children to the to this kindergarten. It was early in the morning, uh, and uh, investigation was taking place in then. And today, state bureau of uh, 
uh, investigation of Ukraine uh, made the part of their report public. So uh, basically, they uh, they accused the members of the State Emergency Service of Ukraine in violation of traffic safety rules uh, and operation of the helicopter. So it was uh, for the moment investigation did not find uh, any um, uh, any uh, controversy or murder uh, or anything like that but uh, yeah but this is what this is what we uh, know for the moment from uh, from this official report so just to be clear what they're saying is the helicopter crash was a result of failure to follow proper procedures not sabotage or murder uh, yes, exactly. So the viol- the violation of traffic safety rules. This is the main uh, the main uh, statement. Anna, thanks for your reporting. We'll leave it there for today. Anna Chernikova in Kiev. Anna, as always, thanks for your time. Thank you, Steve. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Karish. <laughs> Julia Armalenko of VOA's Ukrainian Service spoke with John Kirby, spokesperson for the National Security Council, about the upcoming Ukraine peace talks in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. I'd like to start with uh, Ukraine peace plan talks in Jeddah. Can this summit be an effective way to get more countries behind Ukraine's peace plan, especially countries from the global south? I think uh, what you're going to see coming out of uh, Jeddah is a continuation of a process which has now started for many, many months to socialize um, the peace formula that President Zelensky has put forward and to find ways to actualize it, to, to move on it, to, to, to help get traction for it. So the short answer to your question is yes. I mean, part of the object here is to expose more of the international community to President Zelensky's peace formula and try to garner some support uh, for that moving forward. A key component of this and something we should never lose sight of is the respect for territorial integrity, for sovereignty, because President Zelensky's whole formula really hinges on that idea, that that principal idea in the UN Charter. And that's something that every nation can, at the very least, every nation, except Russia, of course, can sign up to that. Mexican President Obrador said that his country will only participate uh, if there are both Ukraine and Russia at the peace talks. Um, At what point does administration believe that Russia can be included? What needs to happen? So I think it's important to remember what this is and what it's not. It is an an effort, a continuing process here to continue to socialize and try to operationalize uh, Mr. Zelensky's peace formula. This is not peace talks. This is not negotiations about ending the war. Uh, It's a completely different set of circumstances and, and people shouldn't look at the meeting in Jeddah as um, uh, as a as a forum through which there's going to be certain and tangible deliverables. This is really about having an ongoing conversation about what this peace formula can can look like. So uh, no no negotiations. Um, and I, I would say two other things to your question. One, obviously, every nation needs to decide for itself. Uh, how much it's going to ascribe itself to uh, associate itself with 
Mr. Zelensky's peace formula uh, and certainly can decide for itself uh, to what degree, when and if there's peace negotiations, what role they might want to play. What we have said is nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. And so whenever Mr. Zelensky is ready to sit down uh, with Mr. Putin, and that doesn't appear to be anytime soon, we have said and will continue to say uh, that Mr. Zelensky's perspectives, Ukraine's perspectives, they have to be uh, the foundational element. They have to be fully respected uh, as negotiations occur. But again, we're, we're just not there yet. Mr. Putin has shown no indication that he's willing to negotiate, and quite the contrary. I mean, we're seeing more attacks in just the last 12, 24 to 48 hours on, uh, on uh, grain shipments in the Danube River. I mean, he is doing everything possible to not only uh, try to hold on to the territory that he doesn't that, that doesn't belong to him in eastern Ukraine, but uh, limit Ukraine's ability to export grain and foodstuffs to many countries around the world, including, as we talked about earlier, the global south. Is there a time frame that administration believes would be the most effective to find a solution for an effective, just, and durable peace? And uh, is there a concern that 2024 presidential presidential campaign can impact the U.S. support for Ukraine? What we're trying to do for Ukraine what we're, in terms of supporting them on the battlefield, in, in terms of having discussions again uh, on the Zelensky peace formula, has everything to do uh, with wanting to see this war end. And as we have said many times, it could end tomorrow if Mr. Putin would pull his troops out. Obviously, that's not going to happen. We'd like to see it end as soon as possible. The Ukrainian people want to see this war end. They are doing the fighting and the dying and the suffering because of what Mr. Putin has done. Uh, and we all understand that. Uh, it's difficult to put a time frame on what that end's going to look like. Right now, we are focused squarely on making sure that Ukrainian armed forces can be successful in their counteroffensive so that they can claw back even more territory that belongs to them from Russian forces and hopefully push Mr. Putin uh, to the table. But again, we're just not at that point right now. But you're confident that a U.S. election will not impact uh, the Th This support. has nothing to do with domestic politics and everything to do with Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. And just final question, I want to circle back to Saudi Arabia. Uh, these talks that happen in Saudi Arabia, just the fact that it's happening there, and also the fact that is expected uh, to see more representatives from countries from the global south, what does it say to Putin? Because Moscow said they will be watching. Well, I certainly hope that they are watching this. And I hope that they take away from this that more and more countries around the world uh, are realizing that what Mr. Putin is doing is illegal, unprovoked, uh, and completely in violation of the UN Charter, the same UN Charter that many of those nations have and will continue to sign up to, the principles of territorial integrity and, and sovereignty. I also hope uh, that when they're watching, uh, the, the Russians realize that more and more countries uh, are beginning to see, specifically on the grain deal, that Mr. Putin's reckless decision to pull out of that grain deal is making them more hungry is exacerbating existing famine conditions in many countries and contributing to food insecurity uh, in places throughout the global south. What, a week or so ago, Mr. Putin held some African summit there in Moscow and he got a handful of countries because many, many African leaders are realizing that the troubles that they're experiencing at home on the continent are directly related to what Mr. Putin is doing in Ukraine.
That's VOA's Ulia Yarmolenko speaking with John Kirby at the White House on Thursday. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day. Visit us online at voanews.com and on social media. Be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Karish. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.